everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Babe. I'm your host, Lara Marie Shane Halls, and with me today is a straight man, but not just any straight man. It's my best friend's husband and also my friend and soon to be your friend. Friend to all. Friend to all, Andy <laughs> P. Smith. Thank you for having me, Lara. Hey. This uh, this has been on my bucket list for quite some time. I'm very excited. I know. We've been trying to work it out for a while. So now we're here. Yes. We're in Brooklyn. It's all happening. It's all happening. <laughs> you may hear some sounds in the background. That's just like a New York charm. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I'm, I'm a little... <laughs> <laughs> i'm good (laughs) no i'm a little frazzled today i was out past my bedtime um i went to the brooklyn bowl uh trey anastasio band show Mm -hmm. and it was awesome yeah we see eye to eye on a lot of things (laughs) but i feel like one thing we don't see eye to eye on is the love of fish yes it's true um you know i haven't given up on you uh (laughs) But I also know that, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's not really for me either. <laughs> um, so last night, you went to the show. Yes. You did a solo show. Did a moment. solo show. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, got in right right on time. I had an extra ticket sold to my man Billy. Um, 80 bucks and a gummy. And uh, we had a great time. So yeah. wait, Trey Anastasio Band is like... Do they play fish songs? They play fish songs. They also have their own material okay. as well. Um, I'd say it's about like 50-50. Um, I think of Tab as sort of like a soulful fish. Okay. They've got their horn section. Um, and they kind of, you know, Trey does his thing. They'll jam. But, yeah. the, but you know, it's a little bit more, yeah, soulful soulful is in like it's like bluesy yeah is yeah. it less silly uh, or is the silliness factor still fully in play i mean it's 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 not serious <laughs> 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 but i i think i know what you mean about the silliness and, and and no there isn't as much silliness in it i think you know um trey has sort of a different you know, he wears these different hats. And I think going into a fish show, he is, you know, one of four and the, the sum of their parts are greater than, than, than each of the individuals. And then I think he goes into something like, uh, Trey Anastasio band where he's, he's sort of looking to explore even the same fish songs with these other musicians. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot more of like, sort of, uh, like, like, alley-oop action musically okay um then at fish where i think uh you know the 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 way that they approach that is sort of trying to really come together singularly to create something new Mm -hmm. um and with tab i'd say yeah it's a little bit more like i'll set you up you set me up it's more fast and loose a little more fast and loose. Okay. Yeah. When I say silly, I don't even mean that as like a diss. I just mean like this is too silly for me. Like <laughs> there's like there's nothing to latch on to narrative wise. Yeah. 
It's just like the bubbles in the couch and the skull and an eyeball. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I can't like, I can't go there. And I'm a silly pro. Like, I love Dalal. We know this. But fish is just a null for me. No, you can't. I mean, I get it. As when I was talking to uh, our buddy Evan, this was years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, and I was at this thing. And then... um, Tom Marshall was there, Fish's lyricist, and it was awesome. And he was like, and Tevin's like, stop right there. They hold, have hold a they have a, a lyricist? lyricist? Yeah, some guy that probably just like drops like seven tabs and then just like free journals and gives them like a book and then they're like, Okay, cool, great lyrics. So you're familiar with the process. <laughs> the writing process. The writing process. Yeah, I feel like that guy really lucked into that job. I, you know, I truly like the last, I, we've been to a fish show. Yeah. I couldn't tell you like what really happened there. And what was that? Vegas? We went to in the Vegas, which was fun, but like, and then the other fish show, like the last time I truly did like a fish show, I just took so many drugs that I went, I just like kind of came to at the end and was like what happened for the last three hours and then i was like (laughs) maybe i don't need to do this anymore because if i have to really like dose myself this hard to even get into it yeah and then i just like yeah blank it all it wasn't even a blackout it was just a blank out Uh, then it's maybe not you know there are I, there are a lot of fish shows I've been to that I really just don't recall. And um, <laughs> how many I have you been to t- in total? I don't know. A you lot of people know. ask. I really don't know. A lot of people ask me that. I mean, uh, when I, do you stop keeping? I count? stopped counting when the band broke up in two thousand four. Okay, or, you know, I had been to been going to shows since nineteen ninety eight. Okay, and I did pretty much every show from like. I don't know when they they took a hiatus when they got back together I did like every show so like whatever 2002 2003 2004 pretty much did every show so wait but prior to your stop you stopped counting at what number oh like 50 something okay so you'd been to like 50 shows and then they broke up yeah everyone the community was devastated yeah I remember because one of my best guy friends from high school was like a huge fish head like he and you have like similar life journeys as far as your love for fish goes um but yeah the community took a hit but it wasn't but then they got back together they got back together but here's the thing you got to remember 2004 right um we weren't on fucking Facebook. Like, we didn't have smartphones. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know these people's real names. You know what I mean? Like, my crew, like, our friends, I would literally just, like, say goodbye to them in Cleveland, knowing that I would see them two nights later at SPAC. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't ever, like, a... Your crew, like, the people you'd go to the show. Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... They were from all over. They were from all over, you you'd know? you just, like, slowly find each other at exactly. every show. You would just, you know sort of merge uh, casually yeah come together at some point or another <laughs> it's just like the freeway and then you guys just, just merge merging onto, onto the, the way and then crash into each other well and the other thing was back then i mean like i did all of 2003 without having a ticket <laughs> <laughs> Like, that was my whole thing. I would just, you know, you'd get to the lot uh, by any means necessary, likely having slept on the floor in a hotel the night before, uh, you know, slinging beer and cigarettes for gas money. And, uh, you know, I'd show up and put my finger in the air. And a lot of times my friends would have tickets. I remember one, what was it? 
Uh, but like you, you mean like you'd show up with no ticket and then you'd get a ticket, or yeah. you would show up and just like scam your way into the no, no, somehow? I would get a ticket. Oh, okay. I would get a ticket. There was a couple of times I was able to scam my way in, and a couple of times I was actually foiled trying to to. I remember one time it was uh, at Hampton, and this where's Hampton uh, in Virginia? Okay, the the Hampton Coliseum, the mothership. And it was a sold out run and we bum rushed the gates, like me and like six friends. Like we all lined up with our tickets from the night before mm-hmm. and we all just tried to time it so that we were all getting our fake ticket, our ticket from last <laughs> night scanned at the same time. And then we just would bolt mm-hmm. to get into the the venue. And uh, I got yoked up pretty good, but some people got in. <laughs> So then did you like go and buy an actual ticket? No, and then I, that come was back? actually one that was of, a fail. That was only like one of two shows that I've been locked out of. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What's I've, that feeling like? It sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I mean like, but at the same time, there is a camaraderie with the people who are also locked out. And so you just kind of make the most of it. I mean, it really has only happened to me twice in 20 years. Yeah. And so And at this point, you pro- it's safe. You've been to like, oh, for th- 300 shows oh no 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 No. no. i would say i don't know 150 maybe 200 okay something like that i mean i could tell you that uh was it last year i did eight shows Uh, a year before that i did i did the baker's dozen plus some new year's so i did probably like 15 shows Mm mm-hmm um that year was a bull market for your fish yeah well when they're playing 13 nights in madison square garden i mean it's like in my backyard yeah i'm just kind of playing it a little bit faster and looser these days you know hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So the band got back together in 2009. And I was, like many people, uh, still a little miffed. You know what I mean? I wasn't really like... Also, tickets to Hampton sold out instantly. And yeah. And it was a shit show. And I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to participate in this. Like, mm-hmm. good for you guys who got tickets. You're going to fly down to Hampton and see some incredible shit from this band that hasn't played in five years. It's going to be yeah. great for you. And, you know, when they come to town over here, I'll catch a couple of shows. And so from, like, 2009... To like 2015, I would catch like a few shows a summer here and there. I'd go down to Philly or Camden or you know, New Haven, uh, Hershey, PA, just like local shows. Um, Are they primarily an East Coast band? Um, They're more East Coast. Than... I would say yes. Okay, I'd say that they play more Where did in the they East originate? Coast in Vermont. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they all met at UVM and um you know grew their fan base touring the northeast okay um and then uh this is in the early 80s and then there's there's sort of there's very much a like uh a tipping point in 1988 they went out uh to play uh a residency in colorado Mm -hmm. and that was kind of their um, their extension in many ways right they had never toured that far before and that kind of like paved the way for for everything we know now and then in the 
in the early mid nineties, they started doing the new year's shows and the Halloween shows and, and sort of building out more tradition and legacy, uh, you know, that we all know and love today. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me from 2009 to 2015, I was like going to shows, having a good time. Some shows were good. Some shows were less than good. Mm hmm. Um, you were also in like a newish relationship during that time. Right. Yeah. That's when you and Jenna met. Exactly. In 2011. And I told Jenna, I said, look, I'm really into fish. And she's like, cool. I like music too. And I was like, you don't really, <laughs> you don't really understand what I'm saying to you, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, yeah. It's better to just not go into it. Yeah. Especially if you're like in a zone where you're like, I love this thing, but it's also like not a huge part of my life now. Like, right. I'll just let you have this win yeah. and think that I'm like pretty normal. And listen, I've never been the type of, per- well, I mean, maybe on a car ride or whatever, but I'm never the type of person to be like, sit down and listen to this right now. Oh, yeah. You no. know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm like, never- you either are into it or you're not. No. I mean, yeah. I have, do I've- your own research. Yeah. Like, I'm figure not- it out. Yeah. I'm not here. Like, I'm also, this is, I'm not trying to make new fans it's hard enough to get into goddamn shows as it is <laughs> like uh i don't know but yeah so in 2011 and I, I, when when i was first started seeing jenna um uh that summer i went up to darien lake mm-hmm. um and i was like hey i'm going up to darien lake i'm gonna camp we're gonna ride roller coasters and see fish and jenna was like okay mm-hmm. you know it's, she's never been tent camping in her life mm-hmm. you know um and that show was fun that was a really fun show um and then she went to a show on her own with Christine at at Hollywood Bowl yeah. as her first foray into it. And I remember her being like, it was fun. I knew a lot of the songs. And I was like, you knew a lot of the songs? I looked up the set list and they did like Paul Simon covers, Elton John <laughs> covers. And I was like, okay, good. I mean, like, that's a nice, uh, I think that's a fitting, fitting set list for Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and then it was 2015. I went down to Philly mm-hmm. to catch two nights of fish at the man and it was some of the best plane I've I'd seen ever. Yeah. And you know some people get on the bus, some people get off the bus. I definitely got back on the bus mm-hmm. after those man shows. Your passion was reignited. It was full bore like i'm like and if you really want to dial into the specific moment it's twist into sense that's all i'll say about that it's some of the best fucking fish that is out there i mean and i'm not really going to argue about 1.0 versus 3.0 eras of fish or whatever but it's some of the best shit out there so i got back to new york to jenna Mm -hmm. and i was like babe uh, i gotta do the rest of the shows (laughs) Words you never want to hear in your relationship. <laughs> Babe, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'm going on fish tour. <laughs> well, actually, I would hear that and be like, yeah, you do you. Yeah. Like, I'll be here yeah. actively not fishing. Totally. And like, leave me out of the mix. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you afterwards. Yeah. And don't like fry yourself to death. Totally. And that's that was Jenna's vibe, too. You know, and so I went out to Colorado, solo mission. <laughs> And caught some Getting of the, the best. gang back together. Did you reunite with any of your old friends from yeah, the road? No, because nobody, nobody I ran with back then. I mean, uh, listen, it's like, what are the chances that they would have successfully led lives that have cell you, phones? You think connected? that there's like, you think I'm like running around scamdy like now <laughs> as like a 40 year old cis man, like. <laughs> You should have seen me at 22 with dreadlocks on fucking fish lot. Like it was like another level. And 
I say that only because I want you to imagine the type of people that I was around yeah. in that moment. So for the readers that are like need some context, Andy has a nickname that we've lovingly bestowed upon him as Scamdy because he has a colorful past as a fishwook, <laughs> essentially. That was like he was our like friend that used to have white dreads. Not yes. when we knew e- each other, but prior. This is true. Prior yeah. college, college, and a little bit beyond. College and a little, which bit was beyond. also when which I is was a classic time for a young white man. If you're gonna not up, yeah, that's... Into, if you're gonna not up, you do it in college. This is also my friend. Same thing where we were like, he was really into fish and jam bands, and then the moment he got into college, it was just like dreadlock time. Yeah, and there's nothing you can really do about that. No, the white man's gonna grow dreads. He's gonna go dreads. No one's gonna stop him. And the, you know the thing about it is with my dreads too. Like uh, in the in the world that I was in, which was either fish lot or a very dangerous bed sty Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And in both scenarios, I'm gonna say my dreadlocks helped me. Well, I feel like on the lot, they give you a lot of clout. Yeah, like, for sure. It's a clout thing, for sure. To yeah. be in any sort of jam scene and have dreads as like a white person means that you're like, you know what you're talking you're about. You're committed. You're yeah, very yeah, committed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like knowledgeable. And it's like you command respect in the community. Yeah. And people, and people then it, want to buy drugs from you. Yeah. yeah. And then on the street, I feel like people are just like... I'm not going to go near this person. Yeah. They might not smell great. And like, I'm just staying as far away as possible. Or, you know, what I'd like to think of it, you know, on that dark walk home, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> they're not worth robbing. Exactly. This guy doesn't have any <laughs> they money. They don't have so any money. <laughs> I'm going to let him go. <laughs> so I'm going to tumble with like, maybe a little stink bomb to right. get like a quarter. No, mm-hmm. no, not going to happen. Or like so, a dime of there was weed. Like a, it was like a little protective, uh, halo. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then I woke, I mean, everybody was like, and why'd you cut your dreadlocks? When'd you cut your dreadlocks? How not long like, did you have them? For just two years. For like four or five years? Four or five years. Uh, yeah, four or five years. How does one, like, how do dreadlocks start as a white person? Like, You just kind of knot your hair. Just, you like, knot it. Yeah. And then you just stop washing hair? You can wash your hair. Um, I would use, like, a tea tree oil bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, the gist of it is that, you know, you want the hair to be more easily tangled. Yeah. So you don't want to use like shampoo and conditioner. Of yeah. Course. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the gist of it. You know, it takes a lot of work. It's, it really does. Uh, I mean, I mean, there are hairstyles that are obviously more like naturally suited to yeah. dreadlocks. Um, but uh, it does take work, and also, you know, I I I had a lot of friends with dreadlocks, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't like once you have one, because like there was, I mean, there is a point in time I feel like in high school, because like I hung out with like a lot of like druggy jam band enthusiasts uh, prior to like getting sent to therapeutic boarding school. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> and there were there was a potential for me to go into a dreadlock place. Yeah. Like at some point in my life, like yeah. had life had I not gone down that freeway exit path. was yeah, right there. It was right there. And then uh, dreadlocks were forever a no for me. But one of the like most beautiful girls at my high school, she was like stunning, ended up 
she had a dreadlocks journey and I was upset about it. I was like, damn, like this really, this, the stock plummets after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I think it's, I mean, it's like a sensitive, it's a sensitive subject, but also it's not really because I think we can all like laugh and agree totally. about like a white dreadlocks is just not the look, but yep. it is something that like happens to a lot of white people. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen either, it. I like that you've been down that road. You've come out of that place yeah. and you have a lot of knowledge about it. Yeah. I mean, I get, you know, we can't ignore the fact that like white dreadlocks exist and we have to fight the good fight to like try and save our white brethren from like, <laughs> it's just this. like, I mean, you know, there's a lot and, and even so I went pretty, pretty far from like hippie to punk and mm-hmm. like did like a whole like punk DIY thing when fish wasn't playing and, and, and beyond you were like, fuck the man life. It's meaningless. Like my favorite brand. I was just kind of like, I'm I just gonna... spend a weekend in a mud pit. And yeah. Like... Well, no, it even got worse after that. When I got back from the mud pit weekend, uh, my apartment had been robbed. Oh, great. That's yeah. the icing on the cake. And yeah, it was just very appropriate. It, it was just like my whole world was taken from me. Like yeah. the the band was gone, my apartment was gone. Like it was it was a real sort of bouncing off the bottom experience that summer. So w- when you had your dreads, yeah. You how long did they get? They got like just past my shoulder. Okay. Yeah. So that's like yeah it's like as pretty mu- pretty much as soon as i started looking good i cut them off <laughs> <laughs> i love a hairstyle that you have to commit years to just waiting for it to look good yeah there was a there was like a good year and a half where i just wore a hat you know because it's just like your hair is growing out in not a texture that's conducive to dread so you always have like a little bit of like straight hair then into the dreads right yeah but and the you goal know, is to eventually the, yeah get them. you could kind of take a dread and like you just twist it around like yeah. in a circle at the root and that kind of helps with with that to get it to where it looks like oh this just grew out of my hair like a dreadlock or like sure yeah yeah that's one way to put it i mean also the other challenge is um keeping it, the dreads separate because they really want to just merge well particularly like if you think about like how you sleep like on the back of your head for example oh yeah uh it was like a real concerted effort to like not just have like a beefsteak dread i get a dread just like walking around day to day it's just like a pancake <laughs> yeah. dread in the back well, all right, which... if you you might not be too late <laughs> <laughs> which always is a traumatic experience when it's like if i'm out and about and then there's no brush and i feel like a pancake dread growing yeah. and growing and growing and then i know at the end of the day i'm gonna have to spend like 15 minutes like brushing out this like right. horrific thing in the back of my head and that's that's the beauty of going on like fish tour right it's because like you just lean in you just lean into it there's no <laughs> there's no combing there's no there's no showering the hygiene or lack thereof is like that's a huge de- always been a huge deterrent yeah to me from like getting into that scene like full-fledged no you make certain sacrifices um <laughs> when when you commit to that to that degree uh i mean these days i do it a lot differently obviously i i, I stay at hotels you know what i mean i spend the money uh i buy the tickets yeah um and uh most of the shows i buy tickets to but um but so when you were 
pro- like peak scamdy. You had your dreads. You might have worn a cap to protect the so non-hair peak- dreads. Peak. Let's like get into like peak scamdy because yeah. I really love this like era. I would say peak scamdy. Well, maybe there was like two peaks. I could say that it it like it really started to gain momentum when I was nineteen years old. Dreadlocks. Uh, the summer of uh, after my freshman year, I convinced my parents to let me go to Boulder, Colorado, on a solo mission to do some. I, I think I went to Naropa maybe twice. I was enrolled in some writing class, but I just never really. It wasn't for me. I showed up on day one and it was like very like Ann Walden, like lots of dreadlock babes mm-hmm. who were like talking about like hating the man mm-hmm. and you know i was getting a lot of side eyes whatever yeah. it just wasn't my space yeah and so i was like okay fine i'll just hitchhike around colorado and go to a bunch of dead shows and jam band shows and uh and i had um one of these head massagers mm-hmm. uh which is now in like every sky mall magazine or whatever the copper head massager exactly the copper like claw head yeah. massager guy mm-hmm. those were a real game changer they were and this was whatever 2000 2001 mm-hmm. so nobody knew that nobody saw them i got turned on to them at a bob dylan show at the gorge by some dude from australia who had one and yeah he was like yeah yeah mate i you know they're down in australia and i was like i gotta get one so i got one i had one my mom got one i forgot where we got one we got the, like maybe at the mall but we had yeah. one in our family that yeah. was like the family head massager yeah yeah i mean and, and they're really they're, good. they're nice i wish i had one now me too actually i do have one somewhere i definitely have one somewhere i have like one of the cheaper knockoff ones mine was legit yeah you want the copper one that's coiled at the top yeah with like the little like loop and then all the copper things with the protectors. They on the have end. like a little, be- a little yeah, rubber, little glue bit or, glue or something. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That prote- yeah, yeah. That, you so know. you won't get scratched. Right. And then you just get the best chills. You get ultimate like head tickle. Chills. Ultimate, he- yeah, ultimate chills, like full body chills if it's if it's done right. And so I had mine on a little hemp string that I wore <laughs> like as a necklace. <laughs> And, and I'd go to lot. So Scandy saw this as like a business opportunity. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, and I was like, you know what we need at these shows, and that I could make money off of. Yeah. And the you know the trick is that it's it's donation only, mm-hmm. right? So I'm giving head massages, and people are like, oh man, that was awesome. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if you want to hand give me a donation, you know, that'd be cool or whatever. People give me twenty dollar bills, fucking joints, mushrooms, like. I wanted for nothing, you know, mm-hmm. full bottles of alcohol, you know, whatever. It was just like a total like barter head massage scenario. How long would you massage their head for? I mean, and generally, by massage, it just means like putting going in an up and down motion. I had a technique. Yeah, I okay. mean, there's like you know a rotation involved. Yeah, I had like a you know a beginning, middle, and end. Would you to adjust the, massage. the thing? To yeah, yeah, head you got the 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 tines yeah. of the. Of the <laughs> <laughs> I feel massager. like this business could be. You could really reboot the biz. Yeah, I, I, it's well, it's not as much me, of a novelty as it was then. Yeah, people didn't know what it was back then. Yeah, and I'd be like, it was a head massager, and they'd be like, oh, cool, and they'd be like, oh, do my girlfriend, and yeah, I'd, you know, do her, and she'd be like, oh my god, that's amazing, and they'd be like, okay, now do me, do me, do me, you know. And yeah, how many, how long would the massage last? I mean, you know, f- a few minutes, and also it's like you're not just like doing it in 
quiet focus you know what i mean yeah we're you're on doing fucking, it to people on drugs in a parking lot yeah. yeah i mean there isn't really like there's no like candles or... no i mean i just mean like i want to get a sense of just the time i'd say like just person. you know a few minutes yeah nothing crazy yeah. i mean half the time people would be like okay i'm good thanks yeah you know it's you, like a 30 second when you thing. get the chill yeah mm-hmm. exactly um but you gotta you know so so i'm on lot with like uh you know corduroy shorts uh my 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 necklace of the head massager <laughs> and i had a, a a blue visor that my dreads would pop out of okay and um with the visor had the name my name a name tag said andy okay on it. and so that was like my my look yeah it was and, like find this guy like i got the fu- i got a fucking head massage yeah this guy andy look for a guy in a blue visor totally yeah totally and you know and, and people would just take care of me i mean mm-hmm. i'd be you know i'd get over overly dosed <laughs> oh just like literally would want for nothing uh you know and i played it so fast and loose like i'd be hitchhiking i remember one time i was hitchhiking to a show the dude's car broke down some topless like jeep wrangler shows up with like this muscular bro with his aviator glasses and some like hot hippie chick in the passenger seat and they're like how you guys doing there and these (laughs) these chads are like you know well the car broke down and we've got triple a coming i'm like hey can i come with you guys and they're like hop in little bro <laughs> you know what I mean? and we squeal off into the sunset like and you're like peace uh yeah and the guy's name was juice you know that's what he called himself like that was like a whole other i mean you know it's not like that anymore yeah it's really just not like that anymore and and for better or worse it's just it's just a different scene it's a different group of people um you know i even you know it's it's hard not to think about just like the ramifications of the technology right like not just having a cell phone at the show and being able to connect with people that way but like being able to download and access every single show you want yeah um being able to live stream the show like in real time um there there's there's definitely like this new like ubiquity to the scene that technology has enabled that we didn't have back then Mm -hmm. so i think that there was more of a like we're all in this together vibe yeah there was like this sort of like feeling of of camaraderie and and being special and we're all like here to help each other which is something that i think is missing now which Mm -hmm. is a bummer but i think it's because of that ubiquity because it's sort of become um you know back then nobody talked about how many shows you went to it was just like you went to all of them yeah (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) it wasn't like there wasn't a question it was just like okay i'll see you i'll see you in saratoga tomorrow you know and everybody piles into whatever car you're in and you get there you know or like i remember one show we didn't really plan ahead we didn't have a hotel for the night or i think we were gonna just drive to the next show and then we were too spun and so we drove for a bit and then we were like, okay, we got to find a hotel. And we found one of these like roadside motels, like just like a row of like 10 rooms in mm-hmm. an office, you know, just like on the side of the turnpike. Yeah. So we pull over and it's like one thirty in the morning or whatever. And the owner looks like she's locking up the office. And we're like, oh, hey, do you have any vacancies? She's like, yeah, I got the last room right left. You know, it's 35 bucks. You want it? And we're like, yeah, we'll take it. Thanks. And, you know, another car pulls up right behind us. They're like, hey, do you have any rooms left? She's like, no, sorry. And I'm like looking at them and they're looking at us. And I'm like, uh, all right. Yeah, we'll share, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I think that that would never happen today. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
um not to be like oh it was so much better back then because it it was and it wasn't but um well also you're younger back then totally so your whole like you got nothing to lose yeah yeah might as well just share you're already there with probably four people that are gonna have to like crash in this room maybe some on the floor and so it's like what's like what's another another car yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) come on in but when you're in your 20s and you're doing that it's like it doesn't even matter no, I mean because you bounce back. The bounce back is very fast. Yeah, they're very, very. I mean, we would uh, literally sleep in the grass mm-hmm. of like a field. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it was just there was just uh... one of my favorite Wook moments that I saw at Fairly Well was I think we I was leaving the final show on like Sunday night. And we, my friends and I that I was with, and you were there too, but you were with your dad. So you guys were on like a different journey. But uh, the group of friends that I had seen the shows with were all like walking out. Like we'd hung out on the grass, like outside of Soldier Field for a while. And we get up to like move on or go to like some party or something. And I look over and there are literally wooks that have lifted the sod of the grass up, went underneath and then pulled the grass sod over themselves as a blanket and were laying literally <laughs> under the grass. <laughs> and it was <laughs> Wook Ascension level 13. Wow. Yeah, it was super Wook. Mother Earth is my blanket. Yeah. That is super Wook. That is the <laughs> headiest wook. shit I think I've ever heard, Laura. That's, wow, very visceral, too. Very visceral, Ah, oh, wow. Yeah, no, I that's that's major. Yeah. But you have what I love about you too is that you just have this like really wild wook pass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think like what's a good wook I know, story I, I could like, tell the you. Most, the, like the wookiest moment of your life thus far. The wookiest moment of my life thus far. Cuz I think maybe once you've gone wook like you always have a little bit of wook in you yeah you know and i mean and it's it's i think that um it's a sort of a uh, a personality characteristic that that in you know can you can inject it into call it wookery on fish lot you mm-hmm. can call it hustling on downtown new york you mm-hmm. can call it grinding if you know you're in an office or whatever it might be or whatever but i think that there's just this idea of you know just like i'm gonna do kind you know kind of whatever i want yeah and you know come hell or high water reap the repercussions or consequences of it Mm -hmm. you know um wait and let's also just because some people don't know what the term wook means and i've used it before so and i don't even necessarily it's like a short for wookie right yeah which is sort of uh, it's a bit of a derogatory it's a derogatory term. term for you know hippies on tour who may somewhat resemble chewbacca from star wars <laughs> Um, or a, a Wookiee. Or well, Chewbacca is a Wookiee. Oh, he, he is. is. He's just Chewbacca a tall is Wookie? like his name. Yeah. How is he so tall? They're I mean, all tall. Like all the Wookiees are tall. I thought the Wookiees were like the short. Oh, you know, that's the an Ewok. Ewok. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I'm see, not like a now Star I Wars head. The, now, this disconnect there. Okay. Now I've been totally disconnected yeah. from. Okay, I'm learning a lot. There you now. go. I yeah. love it. So okay. yeah, you know, a tall, dready, flat brim hat dude running around dosing people yeah you know could be considered to be a wook often a dread scenario and i would also like to 
to point out that I think that Wook also like, um, you know, you don't go to like one or two shows and become a Wook. No, you know what I mean. There is, it's like a Wook it's is a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and there are you know some Wooks out there who you know are 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 focused on taking advantage of custies mm-hmm. and there are some wooks on there who are just like happy to be there they, you know yeah I mean? they're just like living laughing and looking you know i've certainly had my fair share of taking advantage of custies um you know just whether that's selling overpriced beer weed cigarettes mm-hmm. or what have you um well i think the lot is also an easy place to scam a noob yeah totally yeah and, i mean like I think that um, what I love about the lot is this, there is an economy that's there yeah. that is nowhere else, really. Like, there's nowhere else where you could be a convicted felon mm-hmm. and set up your pup tent and your grill and make delicious gourmet artisanal grilled cheese sandwiches <laughs> and make 2500 bucks yeah you know in a night mm-hmm. um you don't need a permit you don't need a health uh food prep handlers certificate yeah you don't need low uh, overhead to pay taxes yeah you know i mean it's a cash only business from town to town and you know short of maybe a heavy rainstorm or you know stiff competition you're gonna do well yeah like the margins are there and if you're willing to work because it is hard work if you're willing to work you'll make money mm-hmm. and i mean that's a lot of what my friends and i would do just to sort of support our travel yeah which is you know you have to work the lot if you're going to 30 shows in a summer like where's that money coming from you know you have to be working and you know it means you know not you're not on vacation you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it's like you work the day to be able to party at night and get in the car and go to the next place yeah do that and you do that and you do that and you know with my sort of fast and loose approach not really like knowing necessarily who i was riding with or how i would be getting to a and b i had to sort of travel light and so what i would often do is get into a new town and go to the you know, liquor store, grocery store, gas station, whatever looked to be the cheapest and bulkiest Mm -hmm. and buy as much beer and cigarettes as I could with the cash that I had. Yeah. And then, um, I had a cooler, get some ice and, you know, I'd even had a skateboard for a while and would roll through the lot, uh, with my cooler, Mm -hmm. um, selling beer and cigarettes. How much you charge for a beer? One for three, two for five. Love that. And that I will stand by forever. There Mm -hmm. is a little bit of a, shift in the lot uh economies of scale as of late mm-hmm. where um and you know one for three two for five look i'm not selling like craft beer yeah you know what i mean this, this is like is PBR. pretty swill beer yeah, yeah pbr or what what would sell the best in my experiences this is also 10 15 years ago now but was um yingling because it's from the east coast and whether you were in the Midwest or the East Coast or whatever, people want like, oh, Yangling? Yeah, I'll take it. You know, yeah. Great. Okay. Boom, here you go. N- brand recognition. Brand recognition. And I would sell cigarettes for 10 bucks. So I don't even know how much I was buying them for. Probably like three or four bucks. Yeah. You know? Like a pack for 10. Yeah. A pack for 10. Do you sell individual ones? So, I no, feel like no, the... No. Just a no. pack. Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you too, if, if some wooks got five or 10 bucks left... 
and it's at the end of the night after the show, chances are they're going to spend that five or ten bucks on beer and cigarettes. That's true. So it, you know, there was, and it You're doesn't go need bad it after the show's over. Yeah, the I feel like there's like the best like opportunity to make money in that situation is once the show has come to an end, the drugs are wearing off and the true like dusty lot realizations are settling in. Yeah. And you need to do whatever it takes to like ward off the darkness. Yeah. (laughs) Along comes Scamdy with some beer and cigs. Yeah. And guess what? You're no longer spiraling into a K-hole of despair. No, you've got something to grasp onto. Yeah. You've you know, got some something familiar, yeah. a little safety net of, <laughs> of a cold beer and a hot cigarette. I mean, to your point, though, it's like I know a lot of vendors, you know, who will um, skip the encore. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to get out there and get set up for the rush. Yeah. And, you know, that's a sacrifice, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there is an in, in upfront investment. I mean, very little on beer and cigarettes, but could be very uh, much more if you're, you know, I've seen guys with, uh, you know, wood burning brick oven stoves on the backs of pick- pickup trucks making pizza pies. Yeah, that's You know what wild. I mean? It's crazy. Um, and I'm telling you, those guys are making fucking crazy money. I saw in Hampton, Hampton had a pretty good scene this last fall. Um, and there were these guys there who had made these really nice, like snapback hats mm-hmm. and wallets and they were kind of subtle. It would be like a little antelope or a little fish donut or whatever. And, um, but they were nice products. They weren't cheap. Yeah. And I think they were selling the hats for like 40 bucks and I was watching them for, you know, a day or two. And on the third day I went up to the guys and I was like, I've been watching you guys. Like, it seems like you're killing it. You guys doing pretty good. And my man reaches into his pocket and pulled out a baseball sized fist of cash mm-hmm. and was like, this was the last two hours, bro. Yeah, we're doing fine. Whoa. Crazy. Merch life. Merch life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's legit. I mean, but- and the people that bring the tanks. Yeah. They're like printing money. Oh, yeah. But they're that's, also doing something like highly illegal. Yeah, and um, that's like another. That's a whole level other side of yeah darkness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're printing money. I mean, there was a moment in Indiana where I was like in that click, um, in a tank click. Yeah, that was. I was thinking that was probably the most woke shit. I'd Wait, ever okay, done. so you got a tank of nitrous? Yeah. How did you get a tank of nitrous? Uh, there's a lot of easy ways to get a tank of nitrous. I mean, every hospital or dentist office has them, but also um, they're usually stored like a- outside, like locked up in a cage. Mm-hmm. Um, stored outside of a hospital? Yeah, or dentist office or whatever. So you just um, find like a local dentist office? Yeah, or sometimes, you know, the, the it's the delivery driver. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, nobody's like running into a bank, you know what I mean? Like with a, with, with weapons, it's just, it's it's more available than... You'd think. And ava- by available, you mean like it's easy to steal? Uh, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a statute of limitations on your nitrous heist. I have never stolen a tank of nitrous. <laughs> I'm just going to say that out loud. But you may I have... or may not have known people that have may or may not have stolen tanks of nitrous yes. to potentially sell them on the lot yes. at a fish show. Yes. Particularly in the Midwest. Okay. Yeah. Um, Alpine Valley is a little 
<laughs> it's a little rough. Um, and at, at a place like Alpine and whatever, you've got, you know, you've got sprawling campsites and you've got woods and you've got people who live there and they're, they're ready and willing. You know, I've literally been inside of a barn on the outskirts of a campground in Indiana that was full of nitrous tanks. Yeah. Like, how many do you want? Wow. Like crazy shit. And I was brought to that barn on an ATV by security of the venue. Yeah. You know, this is, it's, you, it, it's available. And if you want to get into it, but it's also really creepy. Like at fucking Friday night at the Beacon Theater, there's tanks. And I'm talking to the dude who's, you know, running the tank and he looked like he just got punched in the face. Uh, you yeah. Know? Because it's, you're literally selling like illegal. It's like a, it's drugs. Yeah. It's drugs. It's the drug life. And it's, uh, you know, there, now that I remember, I'm remembering leaving shred 420 and there were actually tanks yeah. like all outside. Cause I, you hear the hissing exactly. and that's when you know that there's like a full blown vibe. Totally. Totally. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was telling this story actually the other night to my buddy Joe. Um... But I was, you know, in Indiana on a campsite running a tank and, uh, uh, it was like on this sort of small pedestrian bridge mm -hmm. over like a creek, but really wasn't much of a creek. It was more just like a ditch. And this guy comes up to me with one of those, um, those like punching bag balloons, you know, where you have like a rubber band that's tied around your wrist and it's mm -hmm. a bigger balloon and you punch it or whatever. It's like pleated, you know, and yeah. then, you know. And he comes up to me, he's like, hey, man, fill this up. And I'm like, ah, shit, I don't know, man. Like, give me like a hundred bucks. And he's like, here's 80. I'm like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. So I fill up his balloon, this big, huge punching bag balloon, um, thinking that he's going to then go back to his people with his, at his campsite because he's just bought a huge balloon of gas. Yeah. But no, instead, he just posts up on this pedestrian bridge with me and starts taking down this balloon. And I was very impressed and I, you know, looked away and then I looked back as he, I saw his eyes roll into the back of his head yeah. and he falls backwards off of the bridge into the ditch. Uh, and like me and like three other dudes were like, oh shit. And we look over the ledge, you know, and he's there like kind of like just moaning and groaning. <laughs> <laughs> and this one dude next to me, he's like, I think he'll be okay. He's like, but you should probably leave. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I think I should. And then you have this moral quandary of... You're like, I killed a man. Well, no, I, no, I don't think I killed <laughs> a man. Someone's like, look down, look down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are like going down, like taking their shoes off to get into the creek to pull them out. And uh, I'm like, okay, do I... You know, I can't leave the tank because then I'm going to be no, in real, don't leave real the trouble. Tank. Yeah. Like now I got to drag this fucking tank through the woods and somehow coordinate with 
you know, my manager uh, <laughs> that make sure that we're all cool. He doesn't think I ran off with this tank. Um, and that was like the last time. My manager. <laughs> <laughs> my associate. My associate. <laughs> well, that was the last time I, I, I went that deep and dark. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that seems like a fitting ending to like, there were a lot of close calls um, that I'm very grateful to be here today with all my digits yeah. and no criminal record. Um, What's another close call? Uh, what is another close call? Um, oh, I remember I was pinched in Hampton um, selling beer and cigarettes, but also just had a ton of drugs. And um, some friends of mine caught up to me and they... And there was like a rush for beers at my cooler. Mm -hmm. So they started like helping me out. But it's really not helpful to have somebody else taking cash and grabbing your beers. Yeah. And so I was like, look, dude, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Like, don't touch my beer. Don't take any cash from me. I'm mm -hmm. fine. And you also kind of have to be on your guard when you're vending, you know. Yeah. And shit happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the well, south, if you're, yeah, like a scam. Yeah, I mean, it takes you know, one to know one. <laughs> it takes one to know one. Yeah. So, long story short, is my dude reaches into the cooler and sells this guy a beer, and I look up, and it's clearly an undercover cop, and I'm like, motherfucker, I told you not to fucking sell the beers. Like, I got a fucking bounce. I close my cooler. I put it on my skateboard. I start to wheel away, <laughs> and then there's four fucking cops. They're like. Cool. This way, kid. Saw so you just sold this dude a beer. You can't do that in Virginia. I'm like, fuck. And then they grab my buddy. And I'm taking it very chill. We're wheel they're wheeling us over to the corner of the lot where they've got their paddy wagon and they're gonna confiscate all our shit and search us and find all my drugs. Mm -hmm. Which is what I was most concerned about. So I'm being Mr. Nice Guy. My buddy is freaking the fuck out yeah and they end up putting him in handcuffs searching him finding all his drugs and i never saw him again <laughs> to this day <laughs> to, to you're this like... day yeah, brian if you're listening i hope you're okay bro <laughs> um, but i never saw him again and the yeah whole, brian's long gone the whole time i'm sitting there i'm like man you know they're gonna do the same to me they're gonna frisk me they're gonna find all my drugs i was like at a certain point i was in handcuffs sitting on the cooler i'm thinking like maybe i should try to ditch this shit somehow and i'm thinking well then it's definitely the gig is up if they see me ditching shit yeah so i was you just run. like i'm just gonna play it cool keep playing it cool um and you know i think if i were to have any unsolicited advice about how to deal with law enforcement is that you have to hundred percent have to convince them that they are in the utmost position of power. Yeah. And that, you know, that it would be merciful of them, but they don't have to, mm -hmm. but it would be merciful of them to go easy on you. Yeah. And in all my scenarios, I've, somehow managed to pull that off in this one not you know in this one included so the guys were like okay we're gonna take your beer we're gonna take all your cash we're gonna take all your cigarettes um but we're not gonna take you to jail rude 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 but cool. yeah but then i was like well no you can't take my cigarettes because i bought them in the state of virginia they got virginia state seals on them 
that's it. You didn't, I didn't sell cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I just got like four cartons on me. Yeah. And they were like, okay, <laughs> big they were like, smoker. okay, big, te- big guy. We'll let you keep your cigs. And I was like, well, and you can't take all my cash. You can only take the money that I sold that I got the beer with. Yeah. So, you know, here's 50 bucks. And mm-hmm. they're like, all right, we'll let you keep the rest, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, but you got to give me my cooler back because you can take the beer, but I need the cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, it's not even my cooler. I was borrowing it. And they're like, okay. And I was like, well, let me keep a couple of beers, right? So they gave me a <laughs> couple of beers. But so. Wheeled and dealed. Wheeled and dealed with the, with, and, you know, and it was only because they, you know, I convinced them, them, convinced them that they were in charge and they are in charge. But I still had to go back to Hampton to go to court. Oh. Like six months later or whatever. So I flew to fucking Hampton, Virginia to go to court and they're, they're arraigning, they're, 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 they're having sentencing for kids that have been in jail that whole time. Like this dude's coming in in an orange jumpsuit and fucking hand and leg shackles for having like a quarter ounce of mushrooms. Yeah. Like crazy shit. Fuck. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I was, what was it? It was like selling beer without a liquor license or mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, I had some court appointed attorney, you know, the whole thing. And, uh, I get up there and, and they're like, okay, so you sold, you sold the beer to the undercover cop. You were selling beer. Like, how do you plead? And I was like, not guilty. And they're like, what are you talking about, dude? You sold this beer to that undercover cop. And I was like, actually, I did not sell that beer. Oh, it was my beer. Nap. And I was selling beer, but I did not sell the beer to that officer Mm -hmm. so then my attorney's like your honor i need a minute takes me out into the hallway and is like what the fuck are you doing dude plead guilty you pay the fine you go home i'm like i'm not gonna plead guilty i didn't fucking do anything (laughs) so we get into this argument (laughs) and then he's like okay 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 how about you plead guilty to an open container and i was like what's the fine on that he's like 20 bucks and i was like yes walk back in there he's like you know your honor we'd like to uh, amend the charges uh, my client is prepared to plead guilty to an open container violation. And the, the judge is like, she's like, you know, is that true? And I was like, yeah, I will plead guilty to an open container, container violation. And they're like, boom. Okay. Pay your fine over there. 20 bucks. Done. Done chic. and done. Chic. Very chic. I love that. Um, but it still cost me the money to get down there. All the, 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 you know, the 50 bucks and beers that the cops took. Um, and, you know, and I never saw Brian again. So that was like kind of the bummer of the whole scenario. And Brian and I did a lot of shows together too. Um, he lived in New Jersey and I remember he gave me a ride back from Camden a couple of times too. And solid dude. Yeah. Yeah. Where we don't have any idea where he is now. I don't. I, I did catch up with my buddy Tim. Tim and I did a lot of shows together in his GMC Yukon driving around the country. We did Coventry together. Um, we did Burgettstown together, which was like, I think my all time favorite show of all time. And, um, I've caught up with him a couple of times. Uh, has he talked to Brian? I don't know if they knew each other. Maybe, but Tim was one of these guys too, you know, who was like fish broke up. He got married. He bought a house you know, he, he works hard. He's got a good job and you know what I mean? Like he'll hit me up or I'll hit him up and like, are you at the show? No, I'm at the show. No, you know, and we haven't really like partied. Um, but he's around, you know, and, and he's one of the few that I've been able to keep in touch with. Yeah. What up, Tim? Shout out big, <laughs> big Tim. Yeah. 
We've covered a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. I think we could get into reader mail, quite okay. frankly. Great. Dearest Lara, an esteemed guest, I realize that I have an incredible cancer faker story that I must share with you. It's kind of a long and multi-layered, but I'll do my best to send you the Cliff's Notes version. A few years ago, I started a contract at the headquarters of a state agency. I met two babes there, both about 10 years younger than me. Both professed to be trust fund babies who had struck out on their own, and both agreed that they were working at a state agency to do what they called their, quote, civic duty, unquote, and, quote, give back to the community before entering the world of politics later in life. They became best work friends. One in particular latched on to me when she discovered that we shared the same birthday, She liked to tell me details of her many cars, the glass she had to attend, the galas she had to attend for the charitable foundation her parents ran. No one knew what her dad did for a living, but her mom was a psychology professor at a major university and her many vacations to exotic locales. I once complimented a sweater she was wearing, and she said, thanks, I got it because it reminds me of when I lived on the res. I was like, you lived on the res? Yes, Navajo. I just wanted to help. I started to smell bullshit then. My cubicle neighbor was her boss, and we often gossiped about how strange her life was. She was engaged to about four different guys over a year, and her engagement ring never changed. Another coworker left to to work at a different state agency, and suddenly Babe was talking about how they'd become friends with benefits. Then her dad died, suddenly, from a heart attack. She started taking a ton of time off work. Everyone was incredibly understanding and accommodating when two months later she told us she had gone to the doctor because her IBS was bothering her from the stress of losing her dad and lumps were found throughout her intestines. A biopsy revealed she had cancer. Time went on with her taking tons of time off for treatments, mostly Monday mornings and Friday afternoons. She cut her thick, long hair, but never lost any. Not shaming, but she was a large girl and never lost any weight from her illness or treatments. She said it was due to the steroids. She was never hospitalized. Thankfully, we were told it was early enough that she could do outpatient care. She came to my desk crying about four months into the cancer saga to tell me that her mom died. She'd suffered a massive stroke at her desk at work, fell out of her chair, and cracked her head on the concrete floor. But our babe was feeling so sick, she didn't know she could make the three-hour drive home, so she was chartering a private jet. But it wasn't just because of the cancer. It was because she was pregnant. She'd been told in the past she'd never be able to have children, so she and her friend with benefits hadn't been being careful. She was going to have an abortion because of the cancer medication, and she was distraught because the friend with benefits was not sensitive to the situation at all. It could be her only chance to be a mom, and now it was all ruined. This was when my cubicle neighbor and I began to get suspicious, but we didn't know that the other had started doing detective work. I had already Googled trying to find an obituary for her dad and never found one. I couldn't find anything about her mom either. All I could find was one address for them, a shitty looking apartment. Certainly not the mansion she claimed they owned. It got kind of quiet for a while. She claimed to be feeling better and shared with all of us that she was engaged again, this time to her childhood best friend who also happened to run a popular independent news site and Twitter account. I instantly started stalking him, too. They'd picked a wedding date, and the wedding was to be held in Mexico. They were chartering private jets to fly guests down because it was going to work out cheaper than having it here, and of course, we were all invited. Families, too. There were pictures of them together. She went to visit him in San Diego, but all his posts seemed to be about them being friends. Around this time, she called in and told her boss that her mom died. I heard him say on the phone, "'Your mom died? I thought your mom already died.' 
She covered by saying this was an auntie who was like her mom. She just slipped in her grief. We were like, okay, grief is weird. You're weird, whatever. That night, I decided to get on Facebook and have a look at her profile. We weren't friends, but her legit mom, the stroke in the office mom, had several public posts with photos of them shopping and eating brunch. And I was like, what the actual fuck? I didn't know what to do or say, but I was totally weirded out and I kept it to myself. Not long after, her fiancé was hit by a car crossing the street and was hospitalized. She asked for time to be with him. Here's where it starts to go awry. She told us she had to come home because she had a treatment, and because they were both so rich, her fiancé decided to be transferred from the hospital in San Diego where he lived here to where we live because that was home, and he could be closer to where she was for her treatments. Something terrible happened. I can't remember what it was exactly. A complication, she said. He fell into a deep coma. Finally, my cubicle neighbor said, hey, does something about this story not add up? I put on my Carmen Sandiego hat as I walked into his cubicle and was like, let me show you a few things. I'd been on Instagram the night before and the fiance was home from the hospital and posting photos of his Chipotle. I don't know what my friend had done. I didn't know that my friend had done the same thing. By the time we started investigating together that morning, fiance was posting pictures of his morning coffee talking about the news. We didn't know what to do. I shit you not, it was at this very moment where she walked over to his desk in tears. Her fiance had died. She didn't know what she was going to do. How could she live without him? How could she continue her treatment with nothing to live for? And she said, I thought I had something to live for, something that would pull him out of the coma. And Lara and friend, she grabs her belly in pregnant mama hold and nods and said, this life. I said, you're pregnant? And she nodded and ran off and we could hear her making puking noises in the nearby bathroom. We just stared at each other fucking terrified. In the end, it emerged that several other people at work had figured out what was going on and someone reported her to upper management. We don't know who. Management couldn't do anything because of all the time off she took was time she was entitled to and her work quality hadn't suffered at all. She blocked me on all social media. I assume she thinks I'm the one who talked to upper management. They did start insisting upon doctor's notes for all her appointments and incredibly those dwindled off. I've since left the agency. She's been engaged twice more since then, once to a gross guy who worked there and now apparently to another gross guy. I just found her Instagram account and she's apparently changed her first name. I've always wanted to contact the friends with benefits guy and ask just how much he knew about all her lies, especially the abortion talk. On another note, I also have a story about an old friend who recruited her mom to help her fake her death to avoid another friend who had kind of an obsessive crush on her. So if you get into death faker stories, let me know. And finally, on the parental sex topic, we have four kids. We're exhausted. I'm 42, but we're still super into each other. I had a baby 18 months ago and something about the delivery we wired my neithers. Not only have I had heightened sensation ever since, but it's been way easier for me to orgasm. My OBGYN says it's a common thing. So rest assured, parental sex is definitely a thing. I think it's only improved for me with age. You just can't be as spontaneous for a while. Getting old isn't all bad. Ask me again in a few years when I'm perimenopausal though love and light whoa whoa wow i love that she just didn't get in trouble for any of it that's actually an insane story to me (laughs) like (laughs) coming off of the scamdy in uh history and experience that is actually like what what is the what is the benefit of of living those lies like to get sympathy from people to I think sympathy or like the ability to do whatever you want 
Uh-huh. Like it sounds like this woman wanted to take a lot of time off work. Yeah. And it's like if you really don't want to work that much, like get a job, like just get a different job but so where like, you don't have to like I mean, I feel like compulsive and I I once lived with a compulsive liar. Really? Yes. And you know, kind of like what our, our friend Becca was just saying was just, just like when confronted, they just deny. Yeah. And so that's like it's a weird there's like a it's a weird flex. It's a really <laughs> weird flex. Like I understand I understand why people would lie about their finances or try and pretend to be rich when they're not. Like I think it I also am just like you're a psycho for doing that, but I get it. And like but lying about illnesses and abortions and pregnancy scares and engagements is a whole different type of like yeah lie fest also i have a theory that people that are engaged like multiple times like serial engagers Uh are they're another breed of babe yeah 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 like people that have been engaged like five times or something it's like there's something like that's not normal no it's not i there's a lot to unpack here laura I know, there's like, a lot I, as i was reading it i was like wow this is so like i have just so many questions yeah i yeah i just am like but also i mean the truth now is that like um you know social media will expose you yeah and those around you like there's no there's no hiding from the grams no like, even even the fakers you know are spotted yeah we'll get your number yeah it's easy it's really easy it's really easy yeah i don't like i'm not a liar by nature yeah but i also am just like a a big part of that comes from like just terror of being caught in a lie Uh and then especially with the internet it's just like good luck with your projects you know i mean like long ago i promised my parents that i would only use my powers for good mm-hmm. um what, at what point in your life i was like a, a teenager when i was just starting to get into the scene to realize exactly like how powerful i was yeah what i could pull off what i could get away with what like what keyed you into this like knowledge i mean there was of course pot Mm -hmm. and selling pot you know and realizing that okay if i buy a bulk amount of pot i can break it down into smaller bits and sell it for as much Mm -hmm. you know um and just i felt like that there was a sort of moment in high school where you just kind of like realize that you can kind of like make your own destiny in some way Mm -hmm. right like call it like you know rebellion or you know misfitting or whatever it might be but i think that everybody kind of goes through a moment where they're just like i can do whatever i want yeah and you know some cases you get caught or you get punished or whatever you know worst case scenario you know the law is involved Mm -hmm. but when i hear stories like this this i feel like is somebody who just was never properly punished for anything for anything exactly was never never really felt any of the ramifications or consequences of her 
lies or actions and then and so it just continues yeah to get bigger and weirder and at to what end like there's no real in my mind there's really nothing to be gained by like that person's lies and actions like other than like i guess sympathy and maybe some time off of work but yeah but that doesn't seem worth it in the end no that's why i'm thinking like some some synapses misfiring there yeah you gotta screw loose yeah 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 for sure or you know or you or there's like some level of like never being never being caught never being punished Mm -hmm. or you're just like in too deep to like pull back yeah there is sort of that point of no return yeah right like i've never done the dying relative lie because i'm too afraid that it would like to karmically like put that out in the universe yeah because like what if you're like oh my god my like grandma died and then your grandma did die then yeah. you're just like what the fuck yeah and then you did that yeah so my go-to lie if like if i have to like lie to get out of something which i don't now because i'm my own boss so <laughs> the only person i can lie to is myself and i do that every fucking day but like <laughs> the only lie would be like a diarrhea lie uh-huh. and that's a one-time use per person that you use it on yeah but it's a fail safe like it's great yeah i'm uh, liquid poop yeah yeah i'm just like everybody's blowing like, up man like cool yeah, do, you take like, care of yourself me out of it you do you i'll talk it. to you tomorrow <laughs> that's oh that's good i mean i remember in college like i would have to make up excuses and tell lies to go to fish um, oh, you know because yeah. i would be missing like weeks of school to go on fucking fish tour mm-hmm. and i remember i had this one like a, a, it was a video class it was like a video art class right and i was really the only one in there who like took it seriously yeah but the teacher hated me because i never showed up mm-hmm and then she was like, she, you know, she said to me at one point, she was like, well, if you miss another class, you're going to fail the course. And I was like, look, I'm doing the work. Like, you know, I'm the only one here who cares. She's like, <laughs> if you don't come to the class. I like this like reverse, this like gaslighting. Like, you know, I'm the only one here who cares. The says the person who never shows up. I love it. That's really well, smart. I, I, you know, it was... <laughs> I lived in a sort of a gray area for a minute there. And uh and then, you know, I had to go on like uh I think it was like a fall fall tour. It was like the twentieth anniversary of the band or had whatever. To do I it. had to do it. Had it was to like do a it. Four night run upstate or Wor- Worcester or something. And uh I was like again, to your point, like kind of like I can't in good confidence do grandma died. Yeah. I no. just can't. Mm-mm. But it was around Thanksgiving. And so what I said was, Grandma surprised me with a plane ticket home for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. So I got to go. Yeah. And she said, cool, just bring me your boarding pass or oh, some evidence of this. So uh, I went to art school. Yeah. So I had one of my artist buddies make me a boarding pass. Nice. <laughs> and I went to the fish shows and came back and showed her the boarding pass and delivered my final video project and got a C for the course. I love that. And it all worked out. That did work out just perfectly. Um, yeah. Uh, college. College. Skipping out. There was, I was like, college was I would use other things that were really happening, but kind of just like ramp them up. I mean, they were all very dramatic things and I could have like, done the work that was i was expected to do yeah. but i was like 
A, I don't want to do it, and B, this is dramatic, and it is like a good excuse. So it was like when my stepmom got breast cancer, she was like, we need to take a trip to Paris because who knows? Do you want to come? And it was during like the second week of my sophomore year. And I was like, yes. So then I just had to explain like, I have to go to Paris. Yeah. Because we don't know if she's going to, we don't know how this is going to pan out. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Somebody says, somebody hears, oh, I got to go to Paris. It's like, mm. I know, but then if you piggyback on yeah, that you with gotta, a cancer, you gotta, a real cancer You gotta story, package that with cancer. Yeah, you get you get your way. Wow. <sighs> Hi, Lara. Big fan of both Sup and Babe, and listening to your podcast is something I savor and look forward to. You've talked a bit about your interest in the metaphysical, and I really appreciated the last episode with Ed where you grilled him on what he believes in. I also love how Graydon seems to be devoid of belief in anything other than the material, but entertains the subject when you talk about it and doesn't outright reject it. I was raised Mormon, and after I left the church, I became fiercely materialist for about a decade. The past three years or so, I've started looking into the metaphysical through a more rational lens and have studied the actual evidence rather than dismissing it outright, and now consider myself what I have deemed to be a rational mystic. I've come to believe that scientific inquiry is fiercely entrenched in a dogmatic materialist paradigm, refusing to accept the evidence of non-local consciousness and the natural consequences of such reincarnation, post-life, pre-life existence, communication with the dead, ESP, etc. Partly because the milieu doesn't allow it and any conversation as serious any conversation as a serious scientist exploring the possibility that physicalism might be incorrect rockets one into pariah territory. Anyway, I have some books I'd love to send you uh, if you're more interested in the case studies, scientific studies, and investigations that really point towards there being something going on we don't quite understand. Do you have a P.O. box or something I could send them to? I love when you get into beliefs and belief systems with your guests. I hope you keep it up. You're a delight. Oh, I'll definitely give you my address. I love books and gifts of any kind, as everyone knows. But that's a good segue into... What do you believe in? You're kind of a mystical guy. I I have beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen some shit, Lara. (laughs) Some shit that I can't explain. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think that, like, that our scope as humans is so fucking limited. Like, we think we're so smart and Mm so evolved and we've got opposable thumbs and we're sending people to the moon. It's all fucking bullshit. We have no idea what's happening in our brains. Mm -hmm. Literally have no, no concept of how the brain functions yeah the there's there's we're discovering new species like all the time on Mm -hmm. our own planet like uh you know no one's been to the bottom of the ocean like there's it's just bonkers to me that uh that there's no room for that kind of discussion being we don't know yeah like there's so much discussion about what we know what we've discovered or what our plans are and all this crap and 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 yet like yeah i mean i think that there are um you know people who are tuned in to other frequencies mm-hmm. vibrations energies i don't know you know that's the sort of how i come to justify like supernatural activities yeah right and i've had too many 
weird random experiences for this shit to be like coincidence you know and everything from from ufos to apparitions mm-hmm. like and i'm very i try to be very open to it and try to be i i lived in like a haunted house literally <laughs> for like a year and uh shit's weird and it's inexplicable yeah and you know where was the haunted house in brooklyn in, brooklyn. in brooklyn yeah um my bedroom was in the attic. Um, I paid three twenty-five a month. Amazing. Uh, but you could only stand up in the center of the room because of the attic <laughs> ceiling. And I had a mattress on the floor and like a stack of books and maybe some records or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, every, you know, and and I called this presence spooky. Mm-hmm. And spooky would do all kinds of stuff. Spooky would open and close the door, bop, 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 like repeatedly. At any time? Um, yeah, at any time. I would, I would be sitting there in bed reading and there's a stack of books against the wall because I have a bookshelf and one book flies off the shelf. My Another God. book goes off the shelf. A third, fourth, a fifth. Spooky was a poltergeist. Spooky was a poltergeist. And so uh, when we were moving out, this whole house was terrible. It was like nine of us living in this house. The owners lived in the basement with their terrible children and they're like catatonic grandma it was it was kind of like a poltergeist scenario <laughs> the whole thing I love that nine of you were in the house but then there was another whole family in the basement. below in yeah. the basement and there was like i love that they were like you guys take the house we'll have the basement yeah they were we're weird. the family they should have they were so weird and that's it's, really creepy. it's funny because I'm still dear friends with a lot of the people that we all lived together. Yeah, and you have we a shared trauma. All have this, yeah, yeah, crazy stories of of this house. But so, um, this is like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. Yeah, kind of. And at some point, there was a storm, and the roof got ripped off of, of Mike's <laughs> room. And I remember we're all standing in there with the landlord, like the next day, and you can see the sky. Yeah. And Mike's like, "So we're gonna move out, and we're gonna need our security deposit back." All of us. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean? You can't live here? You can't stay here? I'll put a tarp up. And, and we were like, no, we got to go. So we're moving out. We all, we all like three or four of us decided to move out together. Mm-hmm. We've got the U-Haul out front. All of a sudden, this like crazy puritanical looking older lady comes running out of the house next door. And is like, oh, my God, do not move into this house. You cannot move into this house. And we were like, no, it's cool. We're moving out. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> You're like, lady, out. where were you She's months like, ago? Do you know what happened here? And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is spooky. And she proceeds to tell me that the parents, the people who lived in the basement, had another child who was a little bit on the spectrum. And they locked him in the attic. And then there was a fire. Get and, the fuck out. Yes. And he died in the fire in the room that i was living in yeah the people that currently that were living in the basement yeah yeah how did they not get arrested for this there was there was trial and all this stuff there was it was like an investigation if you look it up in the papers there's like articles about it and stuff because ultimately they proved that the fire was uh accidental but there was a debate about arson Oh my god. Yeah. Was this like pre-Google and internet? It was like right around the Google internet moment. So it, was it was like, like before like, you could really like look into Yeah, yeah. Be you, like I wonder what happened. It was happened. like geosites like and MapQuest and stuff yeah, like that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The MapQuest it was like days. I was like, you know, you'd still go to the library and get the newspaper reels and yeah. scroll through them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um 
Shit. But yeah, that was pretty that was pretty major. And then I moved into a house well, before that, actually, I lived in another house where we couldn't put a mirror on the wall Yeah, in the bathroom. Every time there, we put a mirror on the wall, it would shatter. What? And one time I came home and I was like so furious because it was like the fourth or fifth mirror that had broken and had fallen onto the ground and was in pieces. And in the pieces were two dead rats. So like, come on now. That was a message. Yeah. Yeah. So then we just, that was it. That was the last mirror we put up in that, in that, in that bathroom. <laughs> People be like, you don't have a mirror in your bathroom. We'd be like, no, we don't have a mirror in our bathroom. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah, I would, you know, I'm very, I've always been curious in that. Like, you know, everything from Bigfoot to the Loch Ness Monster to extraterrestrial life and the spiritual realms. I mean, I think I have no reason to not believe yeah you know and i could say like the x-files like mantra of i want to believe you know i want to believe yeah and i fully do as well i love that you lived with a ghost in an attic and you were just like chill about it (laughs) like i would be like because i feel like i've done enough research on any sort of ghosts or like paranormal that i'm like immediately if i suspect that there's one in my presence i'm like you are not welcome here. Please leave. Like, mm. leave this space. I'm just, like, not here to, like, hobnob at you know, this point in I'm, my life. I have been to places where I've felt, like, a bad energy. Mm-hmm. But I never really got, like, a bad energy from Spooky. Yeah. It was more of just sort of, like... Like, playful. Mischievous. Yeah, is how I would describe it. And... um, And it was kind of fun i don't know it wasn't like it wasn't scary it was weird and like the first few times was very jarring but i kind of looked for i'll be like what's spooky gonna do next yeah you know what i mean i'd, I'd like come home and like be like is everything the way i left it like where where's spooky at this house is also crazy i mean the freezer was so over frozen that you couldn't even close the door to the freezer uh. there was like one, this house is fully Texas Chainsaw it, 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 One of the girls was a drug dealer. Oh, and we could never lock the front door of the house. Nobody had keys. So the front door of the house was just open. <laughs> Actually, one time they fixed it. They fixed the lock, but there were windows on the sides of the doors. Mm-hmm. Somebody came home drunk and couldn't get in and just punched through the window and then reached <laughs> in. And I remember I'd be like, I'd bring a girl home from the bar or whatever, and I'd just like open this door to this scary house on the hill without a key. I'm like, come on in. She's like do you actually live here though? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you just reach through a broken window to unlock the door from the inside. <laughs> Signs your hookup might not be the best idea. Yeah. It was a different time and age, you know, for everybody. Um, we've all, we've all moved on. The house is still there. Um, is it in Bushwick? It's in um, Clinton Hill near Pratt. Got it. Damn. Yeah. I think it was um it was on Willoughby Street. I don't remember the address, but I like that this the lady that's like warning people is warning them again, like her timing is too late. Yeah. Like if you're moving in, you're not gonna not move in because she said that. It's right. like she's just gonna really stress you the fuck out. Yeah, exactly. Like it, she needs to like write an article. It's like you're not helping. You're definitely no, not helping. Too late. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely believe in in all of that stuff. I I I I also feel like if I were able to I don't know, sort of 
block out the noise that I think I could sort of rise to a level of intuition, if mm-hmm. you will, you know? I've I've had moments of that like in my life or whatever and um I would be a hundred percent interested in like having some sort of mentorship or apprenticeship with someone who is tuned in on that level. Yeah. You know, like teach me your ways. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get glimpses of it, you know what I mean? But how do you really harness it and, and dive in? Like teach me. Yeah. Um, listeners, readers, if, if you're out there, if anyone is looking for a young apprentice, (laughs) to learn the nature of metaphysical activity what would you want to do like tarot no i just think that like our minds are super powerful and and that there's an energy that um that i think some people can tap into yeah and and i think that that's everything from you know just like i like i think intuition is probably the safest way to describe it Mm -hmm. but just like this heightened super fine-tuned intuition of you know, moving through, moving through life, yeah. you know, and, and, and being able to sort of, I mean, see people say stuff like, oh, I'm a really good judge of character. You know what I mean? And like, oh, I can immediately meet somebody and, and understand where they're coming from or whatever. And like, I think just taking that out of like the medical world and acknowledging that there's something happening that we don't quite fully understand, but then, but then actively pursuing it and trying to identify and practice it. Um, I think on a day to day level would be like fucking rewarding, mm-hmm. you know, like even just on larger life decisions, for example, or whatever. I mean, I just think that like, I really try to listen closely to my intuition and try to find opportunities to like call upon like a larger mm, connection, uh, to help me make the right decisions yeah you know it's interesting like hearing you talk about that because i well i like really relate to trying to like to tapping into my intuition and really trusting that more and learning like what it looks like to trust that more Mm -hmm. because i'm a pretty i'd say i'm a pretty like rebellious person by nature like i just don't want to be boxed in anything i think like we relate on that level And, but getting older, you have to like learn how to set a lot of boundaries with yourself so that you can like live your best life. And right now I feel like my biggest life journey is learning how to like not rebel against myself, but like continue to rebel against like the world around me. Yeah. I, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine as artist, um, and Ian Ian Vanek and he he said something interesting that was that that like artists and creatives so often sabotage themselves you know that they, they they put up blocks towards success because in some way or another they're just like they don't um they don't want it to come so easily or they don't think that they deserve it or um you know, or many, in many cases, like ideas or visions or projects just never come to fruition. Like, you know, the example of, you know, somebody who's working on a novel for 10 years and never mm-hmm. wants to share it with anybody, something and like it's this. like me, <laughs> but it's, but it's real. And no, I think yeah. there's a lot of 
there's a lot to be said about like sort of recognizing that as creatives and giving yourself the freedom and the opportunity to um to tap into that yeah uh, i did a um we did this personality test recently at which work. one did you do and en- enneagram me too oh what, what are, are you, you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the individualist. I'm at what number is I that? Think it's four. Okay, I'm seven. Which one's seven? Um, fuck. Seven's now I can't the loyalist. No, I signed up. I went through like the Enneagram Institute and like just bought their test and like devoted Amazing. the whole time. Amazing. I'm um. Seven is the enthusiast. Yeah, I'm the enthusiast, and then I the next the next numbers were like a three four, but split. But I was yeah. A seven. Yeah, I was. I'm the individualist number four, and so what I love about the Enneagram, as far as like just sort of a very base level ex- explanation here, is that you know everyone has these these this this trait, mm-hmm. and um, it's sort of based on in many ways like your ultimate fears, and then you go through life on a spectrum of um, from from de- destructive behavior to creative behavior and my big takeaway from the enneagram that i workshop that i did was was being able to recognize those pitfalls and the barriers that i put up for myself that caused me to swing into this destructive behavior Mm -hmm. um and the idea of being self-aware with a focus on how how i can be my most creative true authentic self i think is like was kind of a new idea for me yeah um and that was like my big takeaway from it Mm -hmm. but i i really enjoyed it and the guys that i did the thing with yeah came from the enneagram institute um they were one of them was a former monk cool um and uh there is a little bit of like a drink the Kool-Aid kind of atmosphere to it. Um, this idea that, you know, everyone fits into one of these nine personalities is a little bit sort of limiting. Yeah. But I think, but I like that it gives you the hierarchy of what you are Yeah, because that kind of paints a bigger picture. Totally. You can go, you can go very, very, very deep with it. Yeah. Cause then they had that side test. That's like, they had one that's like the what is your enneagram, but then I took another one, and it kind of it was like the IVQ test, and uh, I'm I don't, I don't really understand what the results are, even though I like have them. Mm-mm-mm-mm. But yeah, um, let's do one more, and then we'll call it. Hi, Lara and friends. Thanks for the lols. This is my Gwyneth-loving safe space, and I just wanted to report that Gwyneth Paltrow stole the fucking show in Avengers Endgame. She is my babe of the week slash month slash year. Her strawberry blonde locks deserve the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. In that dream scenario, GP herself wins Best Lead Actress, and she was credited right before Robert Redford during the, like, with section. After all the plebs, like with Gwyneth Paltrow after a bunch of randos before the core crew, her best work after Country Strong, Love and Strawberry Blonde Light. I love, I love Miss Goop. This is good to know. And truly now I have to see this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
Gwyneth I mean, is the only reason I see the Iron, Iron Man, Man movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's the best. incredible. No, she's Her in Iron Man three, a revelation. She's a fucking action star. No, she really, uh, she steals the movie. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to go see it while I'm here this week. I would love to. It's yeah. three hours long. Yeah. I mean, the only, this is the only way I could see it is if I know that Gwyneth is amazing. And I have corroboration for like from another Gwyneth head who said, who texted me apropos of nothing and was like, Gwyneth is fucking incredible in this movie. So I think we've figured out our journey. Done. Yeah. I'm ready. Andy, thank you so much for being my guest today. This is really fun. This is really Um, fun. Tell everyone where they can find you, plug yourself, go. uh, Sure. So I'm um, AP Smith NYC on everything. Cool. At AP Smith NYC. Uh, and my website is apsmith.net where you can check out some of my work. Uh, you can purchase my fish book titled 100 Things uh fish fans should know and do before they die <laughs> coming from the expert so coming, you now know that it's like andy knows what he's talking it's about it's legit it's legit or um catch me at a show uh slinging books on lot with the rest of the looks <laughs> and uh um you also wrote another book that you can is it for sale on amazon uh the gypsy is last yeah. american gypsy yeah so that was that book is about fish tour 2004 which led up to the fire fest that was coventry okay that is more of a collection of wookery uh <laughs> just Stone i think even one wookery. of the amazon reviews was like this book sucks it's just some wook on his misadventures through <laughs> fish tour and i was like yeah, but that's what the actual summary of the book is, dude. Like, <laughs> if you thought it was something more profound than that, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but I tried to just, I mean, the cover is me standing in the mud at Coventry. Like, yeah. it's the, I'm not hiding this here. But 100 Things Fish Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die is that's the um, one. more thoughtful and um, comprehensive. Um, though the conversation continues, of course, you know, I mean, um, Baker's dozen is in the book, the 2017 New Year's is in the book. Um, but since then the band continues to play, they roll on. Um, yeah, I hope to connect with many of your mystical, fishy, curious listeners, (laughs) Uh, so the uh, readers, I think that there the are a few fish heads and wooks out in the mix. We're everywhere, Lara. Yeah, you may not know it at first. Uh, hiding in the dusty corners, hiding in the dusty corners, ready to dose you. I remember you doing some it. deal with some dude in like a work environment, and he had uh, a big suit on, and we were all business, business, and then. He reached over for like a pen or something and he had like fish cufflinks. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, bro. <laughs> we can just dismiss the pleasantries, man. Like, you're into fish. I'm into fish. Okay. Let's get this deal done. Yeah. You know, um, there is an inner circle. It's a club and, uh, uh, happy to be a part of it. Though I didn't buy any tickets for this summer. Zero. Well, I bought nothing. Going yeah. back to my roots. It's the year is still young. That's true. Yeah. Well, we'll thank you for out. having me, Lara. This of was really course. fun. Cross it off my list. Until next time. Until bye. Next time. Babe? 
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Oh, yeah. 